Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers. And I'm Daniel Rolls. And today we've got something we've never done before. Drum roll, please. So what we're going to do is we get an awful lot of email questions, Twitter questions and our LinkedIn group and so on. And I tend to answer those directly an awful lot of the time. I must get probably at least five or six a day people asking me do questions. You? Yeah, and from the podcast, from the website, from people I've been training and so on as well. And actually, I went out to people and said, actually, we're doing a new podcast. Have you got any questions? We did this on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we've we've had a load come in. So I've I've picked out some of the key ones that we come across a lot of the time. And I just wanted to go through some of these questions, because I'm sure you'll be facing these. And and even if not, hopefully, you'll you'll learn something from a few of these. What was the first question, Daniel? So Caroline Schreiber, who is someone I've been working with a bit um, from the place in London, was going through and we were setting up Google Analytics goals. And there's a limitation in analytics having 20 goals. Mm. She had about 40 or 50 things she wanted to set up as goals because she's got lots of different shows in this particular place and uh, they wanted to track them all slightly separately. So we're just trying to look at how we could do this in the best mm. way of setting it up. So you can have a lot more than 20 goals. But what you need to do is set up separate views of your analytics. Now, just to explain this works, if you go through to the admin in Google Analytics, you have views. And a view basically allows it you to go in and have a different setup for your analytics. It's like logging and looking at the analytics for a different website. So you could do different views. So let me give an example. You might have one view that shows all the traffic to your website. You have another view that shows all the traffic to your website, excluding any traffic from your own IP address. Mm. So you could filter out yourself visiting your website, but you're still going to keep the original view, so you've got both of those. Now, you can have up to 25 views and each view can have up to 20 goals. So you can have a whole lot of goals mm-hmm. if you wanted to as well. But there are a couple of things to be aware of. When you set up a new view, it only starts collecting data at that point. It, it, which is really annoying, yeah. isn't it? You, you, very often you'll come to clients and say, well, I'd love a new view. And you have to say, right, so we'll start collecting data from the first day of next month. And you're not going to be able to get access to the last three, four years. Actually. Exactly. So it doesn't give you access to your historic data in a new view, which is a bit of a shame, but that, that's the way it is. So be aware of that. The other thing to be aware of is that you can't delete analytics goals, which is a bit of a shock to me. I hadn't really thought this through before. And you can make them inactive. You can repurpose them and change them and so on, but you can't delete a goal. So be careful. And what would you say is best practice? This is a difficult one, isn't it? If you've got uh, a new website and you need... Uh, new set of goals. What? How would you go about this? Should, should you repurpose them, or should you? I think if you're stuck, you might have to. What I would actually do is create a new view and just stop using the old view and look at it for historical data, but just put the new goals in the new view. Let me just explain the logic behind this because if you set a goal up, Google Analytics is then recording that. If you then delete that and then start setting up, the, the data just won't make any sense. It mm-hmm. won't kind of match up. So it's 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 not a kind of limitation. It's just because of the way it works. If you repurpose a goal and you change what the goal actually records, you need to be careful because if you look historically and you've repurposed it, it will tell you, oh, you had all these goals completed, but they were doing something completely different at that point. So best practice would say you make a goal inactive. And you say, we're not only using that, just forget about it, but we've got it there historically. But that means you'll run out of your 20 goals quite well, quickly. You, might, you may you may not. Depends I mean, what you're doing, yeah. exactly. I mean, I only have probably five or six set up at any particular time normally. But you could alternatively set up a new view. 
Um, be careful of repurposing because you'll look back at your data historically and find out that it's probably not what you wanted. <laughs> so views is the way of getting more than 20 goals. It's entirely possible, but just be careful of some of those limitations. And uh, what what can be adjusted are filters on a, on a view. So they do dynamically. So sometimes it's better to do with things with filters. But one of the tips I would give people is actually when you first set up your analytics, it's well worth having a couple of views created so you've got somewhere to go if you want to set things up slightly differently but if you so you know you might just have a, a little backup review that doesn't have any filtering on it um that you keep there um just in case you you need to go back to it absolutely right moving on then the next question daniel what do we have um james moore asked on linkedin uh, and thank you for the kind feedback by the way james um said what do we think about online incentive programs now, it's interesting i've been working on a couple of these recently so when we say incentive programs, what, what are we talking about? Well, if you think about um, loyalty programs and you go through and uh, you get points or you get discounts or you've got your kind of card that will save things up for you as well, they're massively powerful if you do them right. And actually doing them online works just as well as it works offline. From this point of view, and we've got a fair bit of evidence to kind of back that up. The classic one, use a certain supermarket and they give you points and those points can be used for discounts or for vouchers, wherever else it may be as well it tends to keep you loyal to that particular brand when there's not much differentiation. And that's the key point. This is about creating differentiation. So if I've got five price comparison websites online, and they all kind of do the same thing, but one of them, when I buy from them, will give me points for another loyalty, like Nectar points or whatever else. You know, that's in a UK-based one, but there's lots around the kind of world. Um, I'm more likely to use them because they're just giving me something that helps mm. them differentiate as well. I have um, two or three different credit cards I could potentially use. I always use the one that gives me air miles. So basically Avios points in this particular case. And I, I will use that religiously to buy absolutely everything and then go on a kind of flight every year as well on the basis of it. So Does, does that get you very far? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm flying first class to New York and back for my birthday this Whoa. year from those points. So it does, oh, works pretty it well. It does, does get you a long way. It gets you to New York. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly that. So it, it does. It works the same online. What I would say, though, is this. There's a couple of key things we found. Um, make sure you're actually providing value. So if you're giving me um, points, those points need to actually be meaningful in mm. some way, and you need to demonstrate that value. So what we do with a lot of organisations is say, if you did this much, you'd get this many points, and this is what you could do with it. So we do a little calculator that says, look, if you spend this much money and you bought this many things, this is what you would get back so people can see that value. And we'll give them some examples. So when we're trying to get them to sign up, so that if you did this, you would have got this. Or if you've been signed up by now, you would have already achieved this. So that, that's really important as well. The differentiation piece is important. If you're already highly differentiated, you don't necessarily need to do this because people are coming to you because of that differentiation, not because of the loyalty or the incentivization mm -hmm. program that goes with it as well. Um, so... That, that's kind of key importance. The, the other thing to think about is when I go in and I do this, does, how brand loyal does it make me? And what you need to be able to look at is calculate things on lifetime value. So don't look at the cost of the sale, um, how much the sale was, and then go, well, that, we can't use that incentive program because you need to go, well, maybe that person's now going to buy from me 20 times. So you need your data joined up enough that you can do lifetime value calculations rather than single transactions. That's important. And then the other thing, that the kind of final thing I'd say is if you are a multi-channel business, if you're online and offline, make sure your data joins up. There's nothing worse than having an incentive program and then I have to print vouchers out to take them in store and the stuff mm -hmm. that I do on online doesn't connect up offline. But that's actually quite difficult to do for really big retailers and that's 
one of the things that we're kind of working with at the moment. But it can be such a major cause of friction for the customer as well. It's very frustrating, isn't it? It, it, it can, and, it, and it's quite universal at the moment. So what I'd say is if you can fix this before anyone else, it will actually be a differentiator for you that you have a joined-up program, and it does it does really instill loyalty in people if they know the value of those those kind of incentives or loyalty points. So um, really, really positive, but you just need to make sure your data is joined up and you're actually calculating on lifetime value. Okay, so next question, please, Daniel. Who, who's next up? Um, this was from Sven Jarvak. So I apologise if I said that incorrectly, uh, who's in Sweden. This is a really simple one. Um, said, what is the best SEO rankings tool? So the kind of thing that allows you to go in and say, well, how am I ranking in Google for a particular word or phrase? Ooh. Now, I have a quite a strong opinion on this now because we've got a thing on our website that compares all of the SEO tools. Right. Um, and we're updating that now. And probably by the time you listen to that, you'll see the updated version on there. So there's loads of SEO tools we compare. And they're all of reasonable levels of complexity, most mm. of them. They do lots and lots of stuff. And you pay for what you get. So they get you know quite complicated, get quite expensive. Most people don't need that level of complexity. See, I feel quite strongly about this as well, and I wonder whether we're going to agree or right. be at loggerheads. It's so, interesting. Um, Thank you for sending this in, Sven. Right, so it's going to be good. Yeah, so what you, you find is that you buy a tool and you pay quite a lot of money for it, and it does a million things and use one feature. And actually, it's, it's a bit of a pain. You could use Google Webmaster Tools that will tell you roughly where you're ranking in Google, but it's not entirely accurate, and it is just for Google. So the tool I've ended up using was actually they, they contacted me and said, please feature our tool. And my normal response to that is, why? And they went, well, it's really good. I was like, you're not really persuading me at the moment. And they said, well, take a look, and we'll give you a free trial. So I had a look at it, and it's awesome. Um, and it's something called serankingcom serankingcom Okay. Um, now, what I love about it is it does very simple things very, very well. And they are expanding the tour, and that makes me slightly nervous, actually, because mm. they're starting to do more features. But what I love about it is it's £5 a month might even be $5 a month. I'll check it. It's really, really cheap. It's yeah. the cheapest one out there. And what you do, you go in and you say, there are different price points as well, of course, by the way. But you go in and say, right, these are the 50 keywords I'm interested in. These are the search engines I'm interested in. Run the report. And it'll automatically run it. It produces loads and loads of charts. It graphs it. It'll do Bing. It'll do Google Local. It'll do Google France, UK.com, all those kind of things. So it does exactly what I want it to do. I can white label stuff up if you want to use it for a client or anything else. Pounds a month. It's wow. brilliant. I really, really like it. So, and where do they get the data from? How's it pulling it? Together? So they're basically they've got a system that's running and just doing searches, right? And then it brings the data back in. So it, it just simplifies the whole thing, and it's simple. Now there's loads of good tools out there, um, like Moz and Raven Tools mm. and etc. Uh, etc. Et which are all featured on our website. So go and have a look at our SEO tools comparison if you like. But for the sake of simplicity, I would say serankingcom You see, I would have argued that the the one most reliable source is Google Webmaster tools it does have its limitations i know but it is it is it is available and i like the way it 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 kind of aggregates the yeah, data it's getting better so, um but i think most importantly with this you, as well as knowing where you're ranking it's really good to have some of the other metrics that that give you an indication of why you might be ranking ranking there so you know being able to see this alongside you know how many backlinks you've got to the content now and, and social sharing as well you know that's become so important to, to the search engine algorithms you know how how shared is is a particular content se ranking actually does a lot of backlink analysis and stuff oh, as well so great. i mean there's a free trial as well there's yeah. a 14-day free trial so go and take a look right. I, but i'm i'm quite amazed of it for the price point right. so it's pretty good so go and take I'm a look check it out. absolutely yeah. right next question um Claire Lansing in London asked, where does Google, and we, we kind of mentioned this actually a, a little while ago in a previous um, podcast, where does Google Analytics get its demographic data from? Now, this is a question that comes up a lot because people go into analytics and they go, 
oh, wow, it tells me how, how old people are and where they are and their gender and their interests. I didn't know I'd collected that. You're not, basically. What's happening? First of all, to get this stuff, you have to enable advertising features in your analytics setting. Okay, So you enable the advertising features um, and then you enable the demographic and interest reports for the particular view you're in. Now, normally that does show up anyway. Yeah. But and you- to do this, you have to agree that you've updated your user policy, um, but they don't really give you any guidance on what that needs to say. It just needs to be clear and, and transparent. But their argument is, look, we're, we're Google, we're international and laws differ the, the world over. So, you know, you will need to do a little bit of digging to see how this is being done and, and run it past your legal team, check they're happy with it. But What you're basically saying to people is we use cookies yeah. to try and improve our website experience. And you just need to make it clear that using Google Analytics um, and you might actually anonymously be looking at third-party data as well to do that. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what it, what it then does is it's where is it getting this data from? Well, the data is actually coming. If that person you're, is visiting your website... If they've gone through the Google DoubleClick network, which is a load of advertising um, that's controlled by Google, they know things about those people to some extent, more in some cases and less in others. Well, they know other content they looked at. They might have collected things like demographic and interests and so on and so forth as well. And what was interesting is that you look at this data and you say, well, how accurate is that data? So I've been, I've been digging around. Now, what you tend to find is if you've got a very limited number of people visiting your website it's not that accurate okay mm. and when i say that if you're in the hundreds or the low thousands of visits it's probably not going to be amazing when you get past 10,000 and you maybe get into the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of visits every month then it starts to be pretty good now um, there's a, a website i was reading reports on humix.be and we'll put this into the the links at the end of the show notes as well and they said okay well let's take that data that Google have given us and that's compare that against some research and actually where people have done some sample surveying and asked people the specific questions and what was interesting when you went past the tens of thousands of mark the data was incredibly accurate incredibly incredibly accurate so I'd say you can't trust it 100% because it is sampled and it depends on the sample size it will warn you as well you'll get a little message come up if it doesn't think the sample size is particularly accurate but once you get into the much larger numbers it gets better and better and I was quite surprised by that I didn't really trust it very much at all. The interests um, can be a bit generic sometimes. So you'll go in and say, okay, well, I know where they are, I know what age they are and gender. Uh, what are they interested in? They go, they're interested in shopping and movies. Well, an awful lot of people are interested <laughs> in shopping and movies and it doesn't really relate to what my website's about. So see if that's useful for you at all as well. But um, that's where the data's coming from. It's cookies that are set on other websites and it, it can be quite good. Next question then, Daniel. What's the- right, this one is um, from Brett. Downs, and this is quite an interesting one. So Brett has been harassing me a bit on Twitter. Has he? So what happened, um, and I, I didn't respond very quickly, so this isn't entirely my fault, Brett. I'm not blaming you. So, so actually, Brett hasn't been harassing you. You just let him been down. Been slack, basically. Yeah, yeah that's pretty okay, much what's happened. Right, so what happened was Brett tweeted me and said, what was that Mac cheat sheet? What cheat sheet did you use when you got a Mac? And I went, I didn't use a cheat sheet. I don't seem to remember. You sat so you, on a train with me for an hour. Right, well, that's a part of it. But also what happened was that um, in a previous podcast, I'd said that I used a cheat sheet apparently. Did or you, you might have mentioned it. I'm not really sure. So I don't okay. remember. Just shows how good my memory is. And I said, well, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to ask Kieran and uh, I'll let you know. And then I didn't do that either. So I've just been a, a, a triple, <laughs> triple double letdown. So um, what we're going to do, we're going to put into the show notes what we consider to be the back 
best Mac cheat sheet. And what I mean by that is when you move from using PCs to using Mac, you spend the first month being bewildered and confused because yeah. the interface has changed and the shortcut keyboards have changed, all those kind of things as well. And there are some people that have brought together some, here are the best keyboard cheat cuts, here are the cheats that you need and so on as well. So in the show notes, and I will tweet this as well, there will be a good Mac cheat sheet as well. So that will be there as I well. I am so going to follow him up on this, Brett. Okay, perfect. So, so we'll, we'll actually answer that one properly. Um, on to the next one. Uh, this is a very similar topic. So Cheryl, Cheryl Simpos came back and went, wait a minute, you're using this e-learning software, I think, to produce your e-learning. Hmm. And you said you're a Mac, and this is PC-only software. So what's going on? Are you using PC secretly on the quiet because you're wow. embarrassed about it? You know, a lot of people have told me that the Mac is one of the best Windows running PCs they've ever owned. Yeah, I was just going to, this is exactly it. So what we've got, I've got something called Parallels Desktop. Yeah. Okay, there's a couple of different solutions to this, but the one I use is Parallels Desktop. You install Parallels Desktop, you then create a virtual machine. So basically you install Windows. Um, So I think we're using Windows 7 um, at the moment, uh, which is obviously not the latest version. Windows 10 is around and so on. But essentially you go through and you install it and then you can run Windows in a window on your Mac. And it runs faster than it does on most PCs that I'm aware of in the case. Mm-hmm. Now, Parallels has been updating a lot recently, and it's excellent. I mean, it's a, I cannot recommend enough as a piece of software. It's absolutely flawless in terms of running Windows in a, in a kind of version. You do need to own Windows, by the way, so you're going to need to buy a license for Windows. Yeah. It doesn't have Windows with it. You yeah. need to go and buy that and install it. But it'll, it'll run other operating systems as well. Yeah, so you, can, you run Linux. Yeah. You, can, you can do any number of different things with it. So it's a really clever piece of kit. And then we run that software because this piece of software we use is only available on PC. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, we run it in that particular window. So Parallels Desktop, that's what I'd go and look at for that one. Okay. Next question, please, Daniel. Okay. Um, just on to one of the last questions now. Um, this was from Steve Fastback, who's in Los Angeles. And uh, this was a bit kind of off topic, but I just want to get asked a little bit. It's what tech kit do I travel with when I'm traveling? So I'm always rambling on about how I travel quite a lot for work. Um, Kieran's rolling his eyes because he's fed up with hearing about oh, it. Just don't encourage him. People. So basically, um, <laughs> I, I've taken interesting what I, what I think is interesting. You may not think it's interesting at all. If you listen to people like Tim Ferriss, I'm a massive fan of Tim Ferriss. He talks about traveling light. How do you, how do you travel? And how can you carry the minimum luggage? Because luggage, yeah. luggage sucks. Okay, and it's a real pain. I've kind of taken a bit of a different approach. I hate the inconvenience of not having the stuff with me that I want, but I don't want it to be a pain. So the first step to this is actually having <laughs> luggage that's good. I can't believe we're talking about luggage Steve, on the digital marketing podcast. Do you know, do you know what, Steve? I, I don't know how well you know Daniel, but this is his dream question. It is. I'm, I'm quite pleased You wax lyrical about, about this. You're very proud of your, your setup, but then you've spent a long time refining it. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. So what I've basically got, I've got a laptop case, but it's by a company called The Bridge. Uh, and they make incredible kind of luggage. But this particular piece of kit, it, it, it's really expensive. Um, but it's very, very good, and it's lasted me for absolute years, and it's got all the compartments and those things. But the great thing about it is a big strap on the back of it that attaches it to my carry-on roll-on suitcase. So you kind of strap it on, and it's all in one piece, and then I spent an awful lot of money on a really, really nice Samsonite little carry-on suitcase, which is basically indestructible. The two of those means you can carry loads of kit, and it's not too too problematic. In terms of the, the major kit that I've got, I've always got a Mac Pro with me, um, or MacBook Pro, sorry. I've got a Mac Pro, that would be ridiculous. But I've got a MacBook Pro with me, iPad 2, iPhone 6, currently that will change, and my Apple Watch. So I've got a, a ridiculous number of screens with me anyway at any particular time, which means you've got quite a lot of cables with you. Mm. Um, and I, Tim Ferriss actually sent me a cocoon, which is it's a little bit of, um, it's like a, a kind of flat board that's got a load of kind of straps going over it in all different directions. Mm. 
And what it allows you to do is you can tuck all your cables and different odd shaped bits of kit into it and it'll hold it into one this place. This is new because you've not told me about this. No, I've, I've had this for, for absolutely ages and I've just been this keeping it quiet. secret source. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. So just search for Cocoon online and it's just lots of straps. It looks like a little flat pad, lots of straps in it, and you can tuck things in, and it works brilliantly when you've got memory cards and memory sticks and cables and various other things that kind of go with it as well. So I use that for carrying all the cables. Um, I've got some lumpier bits of kit I always carry as well. So I've always got a GoPro camera with me because you never know when you might want to film something and, and do those kind of things. Um, I've always got normally an H4N audio recorder, which is what we're recording this on. And I should warn you, the H4N is quite a weird-looking thing. Yeah, it's quite it does, a lumpy thing. It does look like a cattle prod. Right, and it, yeah. it looks like a taser. Ta- and, yeah. I, and I, I, it very much looks like a taser. And I had a massive problem at an airport. I was going through the US, and they got this out of my hand luggage and said, <laughs> so what's this? And I was like, it's an audio recorder. And they said, well, can you show us, please? Um, and the batteries were flat, and I couldn't show them. You, I was going to say that. You never have spare batteries. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. You need to sort that out. Yeah, so I carry all this stuff, and then I've got any batteries for them. <laughs> so then they said, well, we're going to go get some batteries so you can prove it. Um, and they got some batteries. I did some audio recording, and they believed me in the end that it wasn't a taser of any right. description as well. Um, and this took over an hour, and I was in a rush. So it, it wasn't brilliant. <laughs> so I've always got an H4M with me as well. Um, I've got a little thing called an into-circuit charger. So it's one of these little kind of things that allows you to charge up your device when you're on the go. Mm. Um, and it's nice because it's got a full-size USB on it. That will plug in with any of your cables or anything else. Mm. But what's quite nice is it's got a torch built into it. Now, this sounds um, slightly ridiculous, but the, the torch that's built into it, I was um, I've been traveling a fair bit, and we go to some interesting places. I was in Bogota in Colombia, and the electricity went down when we were there. And it's not... Every part of Bogota is not the safest place in the world, necessarily. And my battery was flat on my phone, and it was pitch black. But luckily, this thing had a torch built into it, so it was an absolute lifesaver to kind of have with me as well. So I was, I was quite pleased with that. Um, the other things that I kind of carry around as well, I've got loads of cables. So I've got lightning cables, USB, micro USB, and those kind of things. Universal plug adapter. And then the one thing I found really useful is I've always got an umbrella. An okay. umbrella. And it's a real Englishman thing to do. Always have an umbrella with yeah. you wherever you go. That's absolutely fine. So that's my last piece of tech kits that I would have with me. So it's quite a lot of stuff, actually. That is quite a lot of stuff. But it's not a problem because the luggage solution. So yeah. so it sounds slightly ridiculous, but it, it does really work. Um, so, you know, I'd be interested to hear what other people do. Lots of people have theories about travelling super, super light. Yeah. Um, I don't do that. And I'm not actually that interested in doing that as well. So... Let us know what you're kind of travelling around with as well. And also, we're going to do more episodes like this where we're answering people's questions. Yes, we so, want more questions, like Steve's. So, we'll probably maybe not like Steve's, actually, because that's just <laughs> driven everyone mad. But uh, send your questions in, please, and we'll be more happy to answer them next time we speak to you on the Digital Marketing Podcast. And for everybody that has sent in questions, thank you so much. Absolutely. We thank really you very much. And we, we look forward to hearing more of them. for listening to another episode of the digital marketing podcast brought to you by target internet if you'd like to get more information on the show get hold of back issues of this podcast or get details on any of the links we've mentioned please visit our website at www.targetinternet.com if you've enjoyed the show we would love to read your feedback please rate us in itunes or even better write us a review or if you have any questions please get in touch we'd love to help